Well, good morning. Uh, good morning to you watching online as well. Uh, we are in week three of our series we're calling The Comeback, and uh, I want to start today off sharing another comeback story as we've been starting most of the weeks off during the series. Uh, on January 3rd, 2014, I was in Ontario, Canada uh, for something called the Nitro Circus. Now, that is not a circus with a bunch of clowns and it's not creepy. I know it has a kind of a scary sound to it, but uh, what the Nitro Circus is, is um, these professional athletes who travel from uh, stadium to stadium to stadium all over the world putting on these amazing shows uh, of extreme sports. So you have uh, professional skateboarders, you have professional uh, BMX bike people. Uh, I don't know, BMXers, is that what you would call that? Uh, just all these people that are really good at things that I will never be good at. Um, and it's just amazing. Like, they're just doing these incredible uh, tricks on different things. And uh, then they have some fun, too. Like, I remember when I was there, they, uh, they had a, a bathtub that they had wheels on the bottom. And they pushed them down, like, this 50-foot ramp. And it was just, like, they had some fun. And it was funny. Uh, but the highlight of the show was the motocross part, which is people doing tricks on these motorcycles, really heavy motorcycles. And during this show uh, that, that I was at, one of the motocross riders, it was a man named Bruce Cook, uh, was going to attempt a trick that had never been attempted before. Uh, he was going to attempt a double front flip on a motorcycle. Uh, now, if you think about that, uh, the physics of a backflip uh, makes it a lot easier to do a backflip because you go up the ramp, you just kind of uh, go with the flow of the bike, and I'm making it sound so easy. Uh, uh, I, I don't even know if I could ride a motorcycle, let alone do a trick on it. But backflips had been done before. At one point, that was like the big trick, and then someone did a double backflip, and who knows, they're probably doing like five backflips now. Uh, but a front flip is, as far as I understand, much more difficult because you have to reverse the momentum of the bike. You're not just going up the ramp and with it. You have to go up the ramp and then push all your weight forward to, to begin to tumble forward. So uh, a front flip had been completed before, but a double front flip had never been completed. Uh, so for Bruce, he was, complete, he was trying to complete this double front flip, and it was not a good day for Bruce. Uh, in fact, he, he landed very awkwardly. Um, he ended up breaking his back in the landing, and we found out later that he became paralyzed from his waist down. Um, but it was a very somber moment in a stadium full of people in Ontario, Canada. Everyone goes quiet all of a sudden. They don't, they, everyone saw it, like it just did not look good the way he landed. Uh, honestly, we were afraid that he may have passed away when he landed. Uh, but I want to show you a video of what Bruce was up to about nine months after this horrible accident. Watch this video. With a lot of fear, uh, he said, I, I can't feel my legs. we found out the extent, I, I never expected to, to see Bruce back on the bike. I mean, it's, it's the toughest thing for any athlete to not be able to follow your passion. But Bruce figured out a way. Past couple of months, we've been uh, on modifying the bike, and uh, basically it's just a, a cage around the legs and a seat belt 
strapped over, which is one of the scariest parts to me because there's no no eject button anymore. I mean, you're you're on for the ride, uh, whatever happens. So. Take that word out of your vocabulary, it's uh, the possibilities are, are endless and the sky's the limit. Pretty cool story, isn't it? He was actually uh, the first person to ever complete a backflip as a paraplegic. And uh, over the last five plus years, what he's been up to is he's inventing and innovating different ways for uh, paraplegics to do things that they normally would never be able to do. Uh, he actually has a TV show out right now where they uh, kind of go through different things. Uh, for example, he, he invented a way for a paraplegic to, um, to do rock climbing using just their hands and kind of this mechanism that helps assist them up the wall, uh, which is a really cool thing. Uh, and an amazing comeback. But there were two components to Bruce's comeback. Uh, the first one is the obvious one, was the physical comeback that he made. To be able to, uh, to physically ride a motorcycle again, and let alone attempt a stunt. But uh, we can't ignore the mental component to this comeback. I mean, here's someone who lost the use of his legs. Uh, just the very act of getting back on a bike, let alone doing what he did, is just amazing, uh, just amazing comeback. Uh, so over the course of the series, we've been talking about different comebacks. We started the series with uh, how to prepare for the comeback. Last week, Pastor Rick talked about uh, coming back to God's presence. Today, I want to focus on the mental component of a comeback. Uh, because the Bible has a lot to say about what goes on up here, what goes on in our mind. In fact, God cares an awful lot about our minds. He cares an awful lot about our mental health. Uh, our minds determine everything. Our minds determine our emotions, uh, our decisions, the way we talk, the way we listen to others. Uh, they determine the way we think, the way we act. So it's no wonder God cares so much about our mind and our thoughts. Uh, look at what Paul says in Romans 12 too. He says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. He's saying if we want to live inside of God's will, it begins with transforming our minds. Uh, and if there's one thing we see consistently through the scriptures, uh, one thing that leads to the renewing of our minds, it is this idea of peace. This idea of peace within our soul and with our mind. Peace will transform our minds. And so in preparation for this message, I, I was going around the last couple weeks and uh, just asking people, what, what is it that robs you of peace in this world, and uh, I wrote down some of the answers that I heard. Fear was one of them. Uh, lack of contentment, stress, uh, social media, exhaustion, distractions. Uh, lack of—I can identify with this one. Lack of control. Uh, if I don't—I'm a control freak. If I don't have control of everything, I feel like things are just going uh, just in chaotic ways. Uh, busyness, and then lastly, the one I want to talk about a lot today is this idea of worry. Uh, 500 years ago, uh, a philosopher said this. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name, so we're just going to call him the philosopher today. Uh, But he said 500 years ago, he said, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. Uh, They actually did, uh, he didn't know this when he said this, but they recently did a study that showed out of the things we worry about, 85% of the things we worry about never happen. And then they looked into the 15% that did happen, and they found out that of the subjects that they talked to, 79% of the things that did happen, they actually handled much better than they expected. So the takeaway is that 97% of what we worry about is either an exaggeration, a misperception, or just fiction. And even the 3% of the things we do worry about and the things that do actually happen and they're harder than we ever anticipated, uh, how much did worrying about that help in the long run? Which is why I think Jesus asked in the Gospel of Luke, he said, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Uh, If anything, like worry and stress we know can take hours off of our lives, but it has never added hours to our lives. Uh, You can think of it this way. Uh, Worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives us something to do, but it doesn't get us anywhere. Uh, So today, week three of this series, The Comeback, I want to show you how to move from worry to peace. How do we make the comeback from worry to peace? Because some of us in this room, we are consumed by worry right now. Others of us, we're not consumed by worry, but if we're honest, not a day goes by where we don't worry about something, whether it's something small or something big. Uh, Some of us, we live pretty peaceful lives. We don't worry all that often. Uh, I think I would put myself in this category. Uh, I'm a pretty optimistic person. I'm a glass half full type of person, uh, but I'm not immune to worry. In fact, sometimes worry can catch me off guard. Like I, I, when it happens, I'm not prepared for it. I don't necessarily know how to handle it because I, I don't worry all that often. So regardless of where you fall this morning, on the, the scale of from a lot of worry to a little worry, the passage we're going to, to focus our time on today, it, it's a recipe and also a promise for how to have more peace in our lives. And if there's anything I know and I believe is that our world needs people living more peaceful lives right now. 
Uh, so what we're going to do, we're going to read a passage. It's three, uh, three different verses, and we're going to stay in those three verses for the day. Um, but we're going to read the, all three verses, then we're going to rewind and uh, go bit by bit and pull out a lesson that we can learn from Paul. Uh, but to, just to give you a little bit of context to start, because there's a lesson we can learn simply from the context of this passage. Uh, the passage we're going to read is from the book of Philippians, which is actually a letter that the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. And there's two important things to note. First is that Paul is writing from a Roman prison. Uh, Paul is living in horrible conditions. He's awaiting a trial where he doesn't know what his fate will hold. Uh, so there's a lot of uncertainty for Paul. And he, again, he's writing from these horrible circumstances. And the second thing to note is that the Philippians who Paul is writing to, uh, they are facing intense persecution. Uh, Philippi was a Roman colony inside of Macedonia where when Roman soldiers retired, a lot of them would go to Philippi to retire, which meant there was a lot of Roman nationalism in Philippi. And the, the Roman soldiers believed that Caesar was king and lord, where the Christians believed that Jesus was king and lord. So they were facing constant resistance as this church was growing. It was still a thriving and a growing church, but they were facing resistance all along the way and persecution. So Paul is writing from horrible circumstances to a church that he started with who are going through their own horrible circumstances, and he's writing to encourage them. So before we even read the passage, there's a lesson right in the context, and that is simply this, is that peace is possible regardless of our circumstances. Peace is possible despite our circumstances. And that's important to note because we just talked about how 97% of the things we worry about aren't really worth worrying about. But the truth is, is that there are some things in this world that are very difficult. Some of us, we are going through extreme hardships, whether it's medical or financial or whatever the case may be. There are some real things that we have to deal with. So I want to encourage you through Paul's words today and start by saying peace is possible. Regardless of what you're going through, peace is possible. So knowing the circumstances Paul is writing from and to, here's what he writes to them. He says, don't worry about anything. They had a lot to worry about, but he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard and everything you saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. So let's talk about some action steps. How do we move from worry to peace? The first half of our memory verse was the very beginning. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. So point one is simply pray about everything. Here's something really weird about me. Uh, I love driving in the snow. Like, 
I love driving in the winter. I, I don't know if there's anyone here that enjoys that. Uh, but for me, I think it comes from a couple places. One, um, I'm a pretty prepared person. Like, I, I like preparing for things. So uh, both of our vehicles have four-wheel drive. Uh, we, I, I'm a bit firm believer in winter tires on the car. So, like, as soon as snow is in the forecast, we throw winter tires on our vehicles. Uh, so I feel prepared for the winter driving. But I also like challenges in life. So uh, I like kind of not knowing how... Uh, how the turn's going to go. Like, I, I, I'm cautious. Don't, don't worry. I'm not, like, flying around turns. Uh, but I enjoy the challenge of driving in the snow. Uh, but I don't enjoy driving during an active snowstorm. Uh, I, I'll drive in 12 inches of snow all day long, but if this snowstorm is currently happening... Uh, where visibility is poor or limited, uh, I don't enjoy that, as I'm sure no one here, here does, uh, because I, I want to be able to see what's in front of me. There's nothing scarier than driving where you can only see like the next 20 or 50 feet in front of you. It feels like you're driving like in the middle of a snow globe. Uh, if you have a snow globe and you shake it up, what happens? You, you can really, depending on the snow globe, you usually can't see all the way through the snow globe because there's too much going on. It's too chaotic. And life can feel like that sometimes. It can feel like a snow globe where everything's shaking, everything's moving, and you can't really see what's in front of you. But what happens when you put a snow globe down? Everything begins to settle. And before you know it, you can start to see a little bit through the snow globe, and then you can see all the way through it. What if prayer could do that for us? See, here's what I believe that Paul believed, is that prayer is the best antidote for worry. That prayer is the best antidote for worry. So let me tell you what my struggle is with this one. Uh, I'm great at praying after something happens. Uh, I'm not so great at praying beforehand. Beforehand, when I'm worrying about something that hasn't happened yet. Uh, I'm good at praying after a bad day at work, but I'm not so great at praying before I walk into the office every day. Now, I'm good at praying after a bad doctor's appointment, but I'm not so great at praying beforehand. And I'm guessing there are some here who can identify with the struggle because for me, all too often, I make prayer a last resorts. And I do believe it is never too late to pray. It is never too late to, to seek out God and for his help. But my encouragement to you and to me is to make prayer your first line of defense, not just your last resort. Now, I heard of someone who made it a point to, before anything they did, they would pray for 30 seconds to one minute about what they were dealing with. Uh, before they go into work, before they walk into a meeting, before they go to bed, before they get out of bed, before they make any decision, they would make it a point to pause and to pray before what they were doing, not waiting till after something bad happened. And, and I thought that was a great idea, and I've tried to incorporate that in my own life. And I, I, am I perfect at that? No. Uh, I still am better at praying afterwards and beforehand, uh, but it has absolutely helped. And to be honest, I'm not sure how often those prayers have changed my circumstances, but I am convinced that those prayers have changed me, that they brought a new level of peace to my soul. 
So the first thing, pray about everything. Paul continues the second half of our memory verse. He says, pray about everything, tell God what you need, and thank him for all he has done. So the second thing is this, is to give God thanks. Uh, This is not a trick question. I just want to throw that out there ahead of time. Uh, But how many of you have thanked your boss after you got paid? Probably not anyone in here. Why? Because really, if you think about it, a a boss-employee relationship becomes a debt-debtor relationship. They're not necessarily blessing you with a paycheck. I, I understand jobs are a blessing, all that. But when they pay you, they're not blessing you. They are really just evening the score. Like, they have a debt owed. Once you work for a day or work for a week or however you are paid, once you work, your boss or your company now has a debt to pay, which uh, is why we don't thank someone in a situation like that. Sure, again, we might say thank you, just being polite when they hand us the check, but really, when, when a debt is paid, we don't give thanks. If you owe me $100 and you pay me, I'm not really grateful, but if you just give me $100, I'll be pretty grateful. Why? Because it's a different expectation. When we have expectations for something, gratitude is usually pretty low. And here's why I bring this up, is because it is easy to have high expectations. It is easy to expect good things to happen to us. When I start my day, I expect to wake up breathing like normal. I expect to have running water in my house and a hot shower. Uh, I expect my day to not go perfectly according to my plan, but pretty close to my plan. I expect work to be good. I expect not to get in a car accident. I expect to come home and relax for a little bit, have some fun with my family and go to bed falling asleep with no problem and I expect those things because that's how my day typically goes but here's the problem with that when we expect something and those expectations are met we usually don't feel the urge to give gratitude why because we feel like in some ways a debt was paid an expectation was met but if those expectations are not met and we do have a rough day it is really easy to get frustrated because again those expectations are not met for example if your spouse washes the dishes every single day you might have thanked them the first time or two but after the hundredth time you don't you probably don't thank them why because an expectation was simply met so here's just a piece of advice whether you're a christian or not this will make your marriage better lower your expectations and increase your gratitude Don't expect, just because it's been done a thousand times, don't expect that to happen and show thanks regardless. And if you are a Christian, do this with God. Give him thanks for everything, whether it was an unexpected blessing or something that happened every day for 30 years. Thank him for everything. Thank him for the breath in your lungs, for the hot shower in the morning, for your safe drive to work, for the health of your family. See, this is what it will do in our minds. It will bring us more joy on the good days and more peace on the bad days. It'll bring us more joy on the good days and more peace on the bad days when those expectations aren't met. So a real practical thing you can do, and in fact, this is 
uh, one of our next steps for today, I would encourage everyone to do this, is to write down a list of things you're grateful for. Uh, Write down a list of 10 things you're grateful for and watch the peace in your life begin to increase. If it doesn't increase after writing down 10 things, write down 10 more things and keep going until you finally feel peace because I, I do believe that gratitude is connected to peace. I mean, there's study after study out there that shows the effect of gratitude. Uh, you, you see secular writers writing about how we should all have gratitude journals and start our day and end our day giving thanks for the things in our life. And they are simply confirming what the Bible talked about 2,000 years ago. So uh, pray about everything. Give God thanks. The third thing is this. Paul continues. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. The third thing is this, is to redirect our thoughts. Uh, You want to hear something incredibly disheartening? You're like, of course, that's why I came to church. (laughs) If you eat a Big Mac meal, it would take an eight-hour brisk walk to burn off the calories that you consume during those 10 minutes of eating the Big Mac meal. That's like kind of depressing, isn't it? Because with our physical fitness, and we all know this, you can't, you can't out-exercise a bad diet. Uh, if I want to lose weight, if I want to get into shape, it's not just about what I do with my body, it's what I put in my body. And the same thing is true with our minds. It's not just what we do with our minds, it's what we fill our minds with. So we have to ask ourselves, what are we feeding our minds? Are we feeding our minds lies or truth? Are we feeding our minds negativity or positivity? Have we been filling our minds with junk food and nothing that's healthy? Because the truth is, is that our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. If we wake up thinking we're going to have a bad day, we are more likely to have a bad day, and vice versa. So let's talk practical for a moment If all we fill our minds with is Netflix or video games or some other form of entertainment, uh, we will have a distorted reality over time. You might have the expectation that everything on this planet is there for our entertainment. Uh, If we fill our minds with our news network of choice, you will have a view of the world that everyone is divided, that everything is falling apart, and you'll find yourself either living in fear or being cynical of everything and everyone. If all we fill our minds with is social media, it is easy to fall into the trap that our lives are less interesting than other people's because what is social media? Social media is simply watching other people's highlights and we usually watch it during the most boring part of our day. So we can really have this this distorted view that our lives are not that interesting and that we are missing out on things, not to mention all the same things that happens when we are consumed with the news, living in fear or being cynical. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not advocating that we build towers and that we just live in some tower reading the Bible 24-7, but I am saying moderation can be helpful. Uh, I read the news almost daily, but pretty briefly, Uh, I watch Netflix, not as briefly, but (laughs) 
not, I'm not consumed with it. Uh, I use social media, but I keep it off my phone because I don't want to take it with me wherever I go. So I keep it on my computer or on my iPad or anything that won't fit in my pocket. If you lack peace in your life, here's just a practical thing you can do. Uh, try fasting. The Bible talks a lot about fasting, um, usually in the context of giving up food so we can direct our thoughts to the things of God. Uh, but I think in our culture, we've made such a idol out of entertainment and news and social media and anything related to screens that I think there's a lot of value in fasting from stuff like that. Uh, I, I do this on a regular basis to reset my mind, uh, and not just for the sake of productivity, but to, to clear the junk food out of my mind and to fill it with good things. Uh, this past year, I've gotten really into road cycling. I've been doing it for a number of years, but this year in particular, I've been riding a lot more, uh, going a lot farther, and uh, going a lot faster as well. Uh, usually on Saturday mornings, I'll, I'll join a group ride, and we'll ride anywhere 30, 40, or 50 miles, uh, usually at about 20 miles an hour for the duration without any breaks. Uh, the ride for Roswell, we did 65 miles this year. Um, and here's what I learned the hard way. What I consume the night before, the morning of, makes a huge difference. And, and I say I learned that the hard way because my first group ride that I did um, I ate like garbage the night before. Uh, I probably stayed up till 12.30, so I didn't get a lot of sleep. I skipped breakfast in the morning, and I showed up with one water bottle expecting to keep up with this group, and um, I was miserable the entire time. So what I learned is if I'm going to join a group ride where I don't get to set my own pace, I have to eat very intentionally the night before. I have to eat a very intentional breakfast um, and then when you're, cons when you're burning almost 1,000 calories an hour, you have to eat while you're riding. So there's three things I need while I'm riding. I need electrolytes, I need hydration, and I need calories to keep my body fueled. See, I have to keep some things out and be intentional about what I put in. And that's what Paul is trying to communicate here. It's not just about what we keep out of our minds. It's also what we put into our minds. He's saying, fill our minds with good things, what's true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and excellent and worthy of praise. Keep some things out and put certain things in. So pray about everything, give God thanks, redirect your thoughts. And the last part of the passage is this, Philippians 4, 9. Paul says, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. Again, not just peace, but the God of peace will be with you. Uh, the fourth thing is this, is to apply the truth that we learn. Uh, my wife, she is a nurse practitioner at Buffalo General Hospital. She works in the neuro ICU and uh, when she was in school for what seemed like an eternity, uh, there were many components to her schooling. Uh, in the beginning, it was all classwork, uh, where she would learn the theory of medicine and a lot of memorization, uh, a lot of reading, but it was all theory at that point. Uh, and then later in her schooling, she started lab. 
which is where you take what you learn in the classroom and you apply it in a laboratory controlled environments. Um, after a little bit of that, she took the classroom training and the lab training and she did clinical training, which is where you actually go to the hospital and go to different uh, medical practices and you work under a licensed professional, but you still are getting some hands-on experience with someone to correct your mistakes. And then she graduated, she passed her boards, she received her license to practice medicine and she began to apply her classroom training her lab training, and her clinical training in the real world. A couple things, a couple reasons I bring that up. First, uh, because my wife is a boss and she is amazing and she is the smartest person I've ever met and I will brag on her every chance I get. That's reason number one. But the main reason I bring that up is because in a profession like that, and really you could argue any profession, classroom training is not enough. At some point you have to take what you learn and apply it to the real world. You, like what we learn in the Bible is not enough to live a successful Christian life. We have to apply the things of the Bible. Classroom training is not, a, is not enough. So reading your Bible every day will bring you peace. In fact, I guarantee if you read your Bible every day, you will begin to see peace increase in your life. But acting on the Bible will bring you the God of peace. Attending church every Sunday will bring you some peace in your life. But being the church Saturday through Sunday will bring you the God of peace. Asking God for blessings will bring you some peace, but thanking him for the blessings that he's given us already will bring us the God of peace. Knowing God will bring us some peace, but helping others to see the gospel and see the good news of Jesus will bring us the God of peace. Listening to worship music will bring us some peace, but actually worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords will bring us the God of peace. We say this all the time, knowledge is good, but applied knowledge is so much better. So let's rewind to the very beginning for a moment. And that very first lesson that we learned from the context that peace is possible despite our circumstances. I believe there are some here that are going through some really hard times that are going through some very uncertain times. I just wanna remind you, peace is possible. Despite our circumstances, regardless of those circumstances, we can find peace. So begin to pray about everything, to give God thanks. Again, these are advice that Paul from prison is giving a persecuted church pray about everything, give God thanks, redirect our thoughts and apply the things that we learn. This is not only a recipe to move from worry to peace, but this is a promise that we will experience a peace that exceeds all understanding, that surpasses anything we could possibly imagine. This is a promise for more peace. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you so much for, uh, for Paul and uh, just the, the amazing advice that he gives all throughout his writings, but especially here. 
God, this is so applicable for the time that we live in where it seems like everything is falling apart. Nobody's getting along. That it is possible to have peace. So God, I, I pray that you would help us to, to remember to, to make prayer a first line of defense. God, to, to be reminded of all the things that we have to be thankful for, not just the things that, that, uh, that weren't expected, but even the little things. God, I, I pray that you would just help us to apply everything that we learn. God, help us to be conscious of what we are filling our minds with. Let it be good and admirable and pure and lovely things. God, fill us up with your spirit today.